Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, Folks, in a recent chat with our pal Jake Hammerhan over at Popular Front, uh, the subject of the Clinton dynasty came up. As everybody knows, longtime listeners, Jake is a UK resident, but he does excellent work in conflict reporting, and he's got his finger on the pulse of pretty much all things shady across the globe. Like many of our fellow conspiracy realists in the audience today, Jake has always been curious about what dirt may exist in the closet of this American political dynasty. So we're returning to that in today's episode. We're going to introduce and analyze some of the most longstanding accusations of the Clintons and see whether we can separate fact from fiction here. Uh, Note, we looked at a few of these during the Trump-Clinton campaigns, uh, where we created episodes on each respective campaign. But 
Today, we're diving more in depth with the benefit of retrospect. These stories, these theories date back decades. So we're going to consider this uh, a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the more prominent ideas and accusations, as well as what I would argue is the more important part, an introduction to the larger dangers and implications involved. Uh, In the interest of full disclosure, of course, you could technically say, and this is hilarious to me, guys, you could technically say that three members of the Clinton family are our co-workers. Yeah, we we play golf with Bill every now and again. (laughs) No. No, No. it's not true. We've never met uh, any of them, and we have nothing to do with any of these podcasts. As you can imagine, iHeart is a massive network, and we've got dozens of executive producers and producers, teams that work on these shows, and none of us have touched either Bill, Hillary, or Chelsea's podcast. They do technically exist within the same ecosystem of podcastdom that we do. Yeah, that's all. All three have their own separate individual podcast. So there's no Clinton family podcast. Not yet. And I have I have met uh, Bill Clinton, uh, but briefly, and I didn't talk with him about Whitewater, (laughs) to be clear. So Was, was that in Atlanta when he was doing something at the Carter Center? Yeah, yeah. I, I met him. I met him in Atlanta. But you know, if you ever meet a, a high octane politician, unless uh, honestly, unless you're doing a PR thing with them or giving them money, you're it, it's not really going to be an in depth conversation. But my cynicism aside, here are the facts. For anybody who somehow doesn't know, uh, the here in the United States, when you say the Clintons, you're virtually always referring to a specific political family, William Bill Jefferson Clinton and Hillary Rodham Clinton. This can be confusing to some people because there are not one, but two completely separate Clinton political dynasties. The other one, not related, is the family of a founding father and former vice president, George Clinton. He was vice president twice in the early 1800s. And is not of parliament funkadelic, though, just just not to be confused. Uh, with I was that saving George that joke Clinton. for later. I'm still going to do it. Uh, and, and his nephew, DeWitt Clinton, who was a senator as well as uh, serving as governor, then mayor of New York in the 1800s. Also, Bill and Hillary Clinton are sadly not related to George Clinton, which is uh, a huge bummer to everyone, right? I wonder if it swung any votes in the opposite direction. But interestingly enough, they are the first married couple to be nominated for president, even though only one of them served as president. Uh, they met before they got in politics in 1971, uh, When they were students at Yale Law School, they met in the Yale Law School Library. Four years later, they married in 1975, and pretty much right after that, uh, Bill Clinton becomes Attorney General of Arkansas. And then went on to become Governor of Arkansas, uh, not once, but two times uh, a governor. Uh, 1979 to 1981, and then once again from 83 to 92. Um, he's probably most known outside of being a baller saxophone player uh, and all-around cool guy. I'm just kidding. He just came off that way. That was sort of like his persona. You know, he's like, well, who's this corn-fed, sax-playing, you know, uh, Lothario running for president. And he was like on Leno and stuff. It was a whole thing. Um, yeah, probably most well-known as being the 42nd president of these United States, uh, serving from 1993 to th- 2001. And honestly, I mean, even during that time, 
his wife's star was rising, you know, in a big way. I mean, she was almost as influential and popular as him. They were kind of almost considered like a package deal. It was pretty much an open, you know, understanding. Yeah, it, it, you're right. I, I just want to point out before we move on, Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas for a combined total of, what, 10, 11 years? Or maybe even 12 years, I guess, in total oh, when yeah. you combine mm-hmm. it all together. That's a long time to be the the executive politician of an entire state. And, you you know, one of the things we're going to get into when we're, we're talking about corruption here is what happens when you are at on in those upper echelons for so long? Like what happens when you have so much power and um, you've not only like climbed the ladder to get up there or used whatever uh, means are at your disposal to get there? Um, you you maintain that power. So that's just, I just want to point that out. That's a long time. Yeah, it is. And that's, that's an important point. I appreciate you making that, Matt, because one of the um, main difficulties for a lot of uh, the system of U.S. politics is the incentivization for short-term thinking uh, the it seems like the election cycles never really end, uh, and you know you can make an argument. This is not to support dictatorships or strongmen, but you can make an argument that uh, centralized economies have a uh, a better likelihood of success with long term plans. Right. Instead of things that are just like, why will this matter in two to four years? I'll be gone. Uh, What we see here in that long term as governor, that long series of terms as governor of Arkansas is an opportunity to plan on a longer time horizon than governors in less uh, what are called safe positions. Uh, So, yeah, Hillary Clinton, to your point, Noel, is when uh, serving as First Lady of Arkansas, later First Lady of the United States itself, garners a reputation as being much more policy and politically involved than many other previous First Ladies. Um, And this is something that, you know, indicates this individual's own political ambitions beyond what is often considered just sort of a, a ceremonial role. And Uh, Hillary Clinton does make good on these ambitions. She goes on to become a New York senator uh, for like 2001, 2009. And then she becomes secretary of state from 2009 to 2013. I think that's very interesting because there's this long, I don't know if you can say it's conclusively proven, but there's this longstanding belief in the U.S. that in the backstage of both major political parties, when you have two front runners who, you know, who are going head to head in a primary or something, and only one of them can run on the party ticket for president, uh, they make a backroom deal where they say, okay, give me another position, like secretary of state, right? Uh, This is something you also see, I I believe it was John Kerry, who was mentioned in this regard earlier. But still, this is a power couple, right? That's a lot of influence for a single couple to have in a, a purported meritocracy. No matter, even if they're absolute paragons of virtue and the best people ever, right? Even if it's like Mister Rogers and uh, the um, the lady who did Lamb Chop. If if even those wholesome seeming people, they have a lot of power, you have to wonder about the opportunities that that power brings. Uh, 
And while they're, to be fair, while their relationship may be unique in the halls of power, it is crucial to note this is far, far from the first time members of the very same family occupied government positions that wielded tremendous influence. Um, on the left, you can think of the Kennedy brothers, who were, of course, later assassinated, uh, or you can think of the Bush dynasty. So there's something else here. It's almost like a study of media, a little bit of media forensics. The Clinton presidency took place during a time of growing great political divide. It was a harbinger, obviously, uh, with the benefit of retrospect, for what was to come afterwards in American politics. And during the Clinton presidency, we see, um, we see this rise of the 24-hour news cycle. Right. This means that a lot of things that uh, would have nailed an earlier administration, but were conveniently swept under the rug, were out in the growing court of public opinion. And you have to ask yourself, were there more skeletons in the closet of this administration or were there just better flashlights in the hands of the public? Isn't that funny to think back on? Like CNN was really king at this time and it wasn't. Is partisan, it, it seemed. Like, like, like Fox News wasn't really a thing yet, was it? Like CNN went after the Clintons, you know, e even being considered a left-leaning, you know, news organization. There was plenty of, you know, coverage of, of the Clinton scandals and, and, and impeachment trials and all of that stuff. Like it wasn't like they gave them a pass. It was very much laser-focused. Yeah, Fox News gets its start in 1996. So right around this stretch of time we're describing where the landscape of media changes. Uh, this, of course, is not to be taken as, um, be, as us being apologists for this administration in any way. It's just important to note that the ways in which the public uh, were able to encounter controversies and PR and propaganda regarding politicians in general, it, it fundamentally changed during this time. As we'll see, a lot of things fundamentally changed. Yeah, I, I'm thinking back to the Kennedy brothers, just how much of a stink there was in the press when uh, President Kennedy attempted to get his brother in into that position of attorney general and how, you know, he was appointed and didn't seem to have any credentials whatsoever. And yet it was still going to go through because the president had the power to do so. And he got enough people to just look the other way or say, that's fine. That's fine, Mr. Kennedy. Uh, we'll just allow that to happen. I mean, there was a ton of press coverage on that and a lot of anger that was that or like at least I've seen a lot of the articles from the time that were stating, hey, this is this feels like corruption. This is odd. This feels like corruption. But it wasn't on everybody's television, right? You had to pick up the newspaper. You had to read the article that was in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times or something to to understand what was going on and pay attention to it. It's not like we were bombarded by it when you get to the Clintons, right? Yeah, yeah. And then also, you know, a later iteration or example of that would be uh, during the late Trump administration uh, when the president would hire family members for uh, various, various other positions. So this is something that does happen. And the question is, should it happen in a democracy, in a meritocracy? Uh, if you look at the definition of meritocracy, it could happen, but the odds are against it. Uh, it's usually more likely that these sorts of 
familial relations transforming into professional associations are based on nepotism rather than objective merit. Uh, so, yeah, so there are problems. Everybody knows. Uh, <laughs> the It's no surprise, too, that this era, this Clinton administration era and the decades that followed would lead to a lot of controversies. And again, to be fair, whenever we talk about presidential or political controversy, we have to acknowledge that this is not hyperbole, folks. Every single U.S. president since day one, since back in (laughs) back in the formation of the U.S., they've run into controversy. Um, in fact, you can you can easily see this when you go to, you know, a Wikipedia article or something. Most of those controversies now are going to be unfamiliar to a lot of people, especially the further back you go, unless it's something really big like the Civil War. Uh, you could argue that this this um, package deal of presidency and controversy is an inherent consequence of the position. I mean, on a global level, multitudes of other world leaders are inevitably going to object to something an administration does, probably because their geopolitical goals differ. And domestically, actually, no, stay on that point for a second. Uh, if if uh, other world leaders don't object, then it's increasingly common for domestic opponents to say, this means you're in the pocket of that country. Whether or not that's true varies case by case. The mileage may vary. But domestically, there's still going to be controversy also. Republicans aren't always happy when their candidate is in power. They may object to certain policies or issues or find things, you know, um, morally or fiscally objectionable. And the same can be said of Democrats. Someone will say, I'm a centrist. This politician is too far left of what I like or too far right. Uh, or I'm, I am uh, a far left, I identify far left. I had to vote for a Democrat because in this broken system, that's the only, that's the closest chance I'll have to having my views res- represented. Well, I mean, in this era, like the Republican Party wasn't what it is now and nor was the Democratic Party. They just felt a little different, it seems. Like uh, the, the Republicans weren't quite as far right, uh, for sure. And maybe the Democrats weren't quite as far left. They were a little more centrist, or I don't know. Can uh, uh, just remind me? I was a kid, but I do seem to remember it didn't seem quite as divisive. But like you said, Ben, this was sort of the beginning of that, you know, period of, of political divide. That's when media starts pulling us apart at the seams, right? That's right. I I mean, right. I mean, think about how in the bubble we are and divided today with our social media streams and with the media we choose to ingest and what's served to us based on our choices. I mean, this is the beginning of it. This is really where it starts, where you get to choose. Oh, I like this one more than the other one. Now I just get this news. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, that's that's what I'm seeing, too. You know, the media landscape changes fundamentally. Uh, and now it's commonly accepted. It's ugly, but it's true. It's commonly accepted in the United States that as a uh, broken de facto two-party system, each side of the aisle will do its level best to destroy the reputation and stymie the goals of the other party, even if those goals are something the majority of the U.S. public supports. Right. It's it's um, if I can't win, I'm throwing the monopoly board and I'm breaking all the you know, I'm breaking all the all the chess pieces. Almost like uh, taking you down with me. 
Right. Yeah. And so for an example of this, as we record uh, at the end of July 2022, just this week, uh, there was a bill that was meant to expand health care for veterans who have been exposed to various dangerous substances. And it had passed in the House and it had earlier been all fine in the Senate. But then members of the GOP blocked the bill uh, and called it a surprise. They have various rationalizations for it. Some of those members who had previously proved went back and, and cut it off. Uh, and there are statements about how that was done by some simply to affect the poll numbers of the current administration. John Stewart has a great speech on this. It is the most exciting thing that C-SPAN has aired in several years. Do check it out. I also want to point out that, uh, Stewart is on record saying he will never run for political office because he thinks it's BS. Man. It's a real shame because it doesn't matter what your political leanings are. If you just listen to the things Stewart says in that speech, uh, I think you will agree with them. Seriously, it doesn't matter like where you lean because it's just about a it's about a couple of politicians that are making a decision for probably personal gain or gain of, you know, certain members of a party or a, a perceived gain for a party on the whole uh, at the expense of all of these veterans. Uh, it's just, it's, I, I recommend it. Yeah. And, you know, you can, based on what we've outlined here, and I agree that Stewart's points are apolitical, based on what we've outlined here, you can make a solid argument on that precedent, that future presidents, on that precedent, that future presidents, Ooh. there we go. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Whatever their political leanings might be, they're going to encounter controversy in the future. In fact, Bill Clinton is pretty extraordinary because he left office with the highest approval rating of any outgoing president in more than half a century. And of course, that does not mean everybody loved the guy during uh, both their political careers. Uh, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton navigated a range of controversies and accusations. You can check out our episode about the Hillary Clinton campaign to get a look at how those were weaponized in some ways. But some of them are proven. They're true. They happen. They're not conspiracies. Sometimes just being a good old boy, cool guy is kind of makes you bulletproof in the public eye. But it was also a period of prosperity. I mean, it is look, look back on. I just remember, again, being a kid, it feeling like things were like going well, you know? I think largely his legacy was cemented by the fact that, like, it wasn't wartime, you know, uh, the economy was in pretty good shape. So, you know, what's what's a blue dress between friends? There was a budget surplus as well, which is increasingly rare. Yes. It's just so funny to me, the concept that it wasn't wartime, right? Theoretically. But then you think yeah, about yeah, Kosovo, course, think about like, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of engagements that were occurring. It's just it wasn't I don't know, it wasn't on everyone's mind in the same way. I mean, think about Yemen now. Yemen right now, presidential administrations have changed. Do you think the people in Yemen are looking at those missiles and going, oh, good. There's a different there's a different name on this one. Great. Go USA. They're not. The wars continue. Of course, they're ongoing. They never stop. We've always been at war with Eurasia or East Asia or whichever one. But I also think it really is indicative of like how biased and kind of misogynist like the public consciousness is around politicians. Because it's like 
you know, Hillary Clinton got pilloried for like any number of, of, of much lesser infractions or, or just like people not liking her vibe or like, you know, she looked a little sickly one day or like had a cold and everyone was just like all over like she was dying. But like Bill Clinton got impeached and perjured himself, you know, and like literally had an affair and all kinds of salacious stuff came out. And yet he is pretty much remembered fondly. It's just very interesting. Yeah. Uh, in addition to having an historically high exit uh, exit approval rating, uh, Bill Clinton is also the second U.S. president to be impeached in history. The first was uh, Andrew Johnson. So, you know, as you know, Clinton was not removed from office, uh, but he definitely gotten into national hot water because of the Monica Lewinsky scandal, which the damage control on that was terrible, right? And did result in perjury. Uh, the scandal, for any younger people in the audience who don't remember, uh, describes how it, it was revealed he had an extramarital affair from 1995 to 1997. Some of the public statements he makes regarding this are hilarious in their legalese, like, what is sex? Right up there with, I didn't inhale, yes. you know? Wasn't there a whole, what are the meaning of the, like, like a very semantically kind of quibbling discussion about a, a word, like a simple word, like an article? Mm -hmm. What was that? What was that around? Which word was that? I believe it was is. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> is. Yes, sir. But yeah, all that stemmed from a sexual harassment lawsuit that was, uh, that was put against him by Paula Jones, who worked with him in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And then course uh when he's subject to those impeachment proceedings during like the ken Starr era in 1998 uh later hillary clinton is implicated in numerous scandals accused of numerous things uh and in a large part due to the um the motivations of the trump campaign from speculation regarding improper use of emails to uh ideas of letting benghazi occur to allegations about crooked financial donations and more. And of course, there's Whitewater. We'll get to that in a second. So it would be, regardless of um, how you feel personally, whether you have a, a bone to pick or a flag to wave about either of these individuals, it would be misleading to say that either have a spotless record especially the court of public opinion. But the thing is, according to critics, there's much, much more to the story. The Clintons, they argue, are much more dangerous than the public is willing to admit. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. 
You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Here's where it gets crazy. Oh, <laughs> buddy. Okay, we're going into the deep water. My ruffle a few feathers. When people talk about Clinton corruption and scandals, they're usually not talking about the proven stuff. They're usually not talking about the Lewinsky scandal. Uh, they're talking about other things that are largely considered um, conspiracy theories or considered cover-ups. Sometimes both. There's a Venn diagram here. One of the biggest ones is the Clinton body count. You've heard of it. Several of our fellow listeners have written and asking about this. And uh, we talked about this briefly in our uh, 2016 episode, I want to say, part two, election conspiracies. Oh, yeah, the CBC. It's the concept that uh, potentially the Clintons, at least according to these allegations, have had over 50 people killed which is uh, very salacious. Uh, a lot of the allegations you'll see about this thing are um, paper thin at best, but it is something worth looking into. Uh, we're talking about political assassinations here from people who got too close to the Clintons or knew too much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the this is uh, an American phenomenon, or it's common in American culture uh, because we know that objectively, Crimes can be covered up, have been covered up, and there are generations worth of theories that the powerful have assassinated those speaking truth to them or exposing things they would rather stay hidden. This starts 
I really gathered steam in 1994. Uh, a guy named William Dannemeyer, who was a former representative, uh, he writes a letter to leaders of Congress and he says, look, there are 24 people who have died, quote, under other than natural circumstances. And I can tell you they're connected to the Clintons in one way or another, not all in the same way. And there needs to be a hearing about this. There needs to be an investigation. His list of suspicious deaths, as he called them, it turns out, if you look at kind of the genesis of this, uh, the if you trace the etymology of it, like you would trace the origin of a word, it all comes from one list compiled by a former Indianapolis lawyer named Linda Thompson. In 1993, the year before the letter goes out, Thompson quits her general practice to run a for-profit group called American Justice Federation. What do we say about innocuous names? <laughs> so, uh, so American Justice Federation, they're a for-profit group. They, um, they're uh, very much champions of pro-gun causes and are known for propagating a lot of uh, conspiracy theories, kind of infowar style, through a uh, online bulletin board, uh, a radio show, and then, of course, sales of newsletters and videos. So we found the source that this arrives from, but like you said, Matt, how did it balloon to 50, 50 plus people? Um, and I also another question, how does this accusation have so much staying power? It's still kicking around today. A, um, a Georgia politician named Marjorie Taylor Greene recently co-signed it. Can I say really quickly, I, was, I think it's a similar thing though it's a similar talking point to bring up this antiquated kind of anti-democrat you know line that's been debunked uh and just like get some attention in the same way that other candidate was like destroy the georgia guidestones because they're satanic that, I, I was just thinking it's funny you said that because i was thinking and there were other folks there were folks in the media who were um who really wanted to push this story without maybe investigating it as much as they should have. One that really stands out is a uh, Newsmax publisher, Christopher Ruddy. Now who died? Who's on this list? That depends on who you ask. Uh, there are multiple versions of the list now such that there's not really one canonical version we could call it. And in each death, the story goes, these associates, colleagues, or normal citizens were just about to testify against the Clintons, only to die in mysterious circumstances. While the list does uh, have a lot of different additions and remixes, there are several names that pop up multiple times. We talked about a few of them previously. Uh, one example would be Vincent W. Foster, former deputy White House counsel. He was found dead uh, right outside D.C. in July of 1993, July 20th. There was an autopsy that ruled he had been, he, he died due to suicide. He took his own life. He was shot in the mouth, no other wounds. His death was ruled a suicide by five different, five separate investigations. Yeah, but I mean, there's still weirdness there, guys. And I, I can't look away from the Vince Foster thing. It's so weird. This dude grew up across the street from the Clintons. He was very prominent in Arkansas when the Clinton, when Bill Clinton was doing his thing over there as governor. So, uh, and he's he's even the person who got Hillary Clinton into the Rose Law Firm that we mentioned in our previous episode. Like, he was the mentor 
for Hillary Clinton. So he definitely knew about some skeletons, right? I mean, he must have just by the nature of his work and his proximity to them. It feels weird to me. I'm not saying that it, you can conclusively prove that he was killed because, again, of those five investigations, Ben, but it's still odd to me. But again, like they, they, they were always bringing in people from their little rock inner circle and, and giving them jobs and replacing people in the administration. Like there was this whole scandal with like the travel um, team or whatever. Yes. Uh, or, yeah. Where they, where they replaced, you know, a kind of unceremoniously replaced these, you know, appointees or, or these employees there with, you know, folks they knew from back in Little Rock. And I spent a decent bit of the morning watching this talk from uh, the journalist James Stewart, uh, who wrote a book called Bloodsport that was about the kind of Clinton uh, dynasty and, and all of these scandals and stuff. And there's a really interesting part of the Q&A where this very southern Little Rock sounded gentleman in the audience and it's in New York. It's at the 92nd Street Y. He says, you know, I got to tell you, sir, I found your book to be a bit of a snooze because, uh, of course, this is, this is just how it's done in Arkansas. Everybody scratches each other's backs and, you know, it's in, in it for the cronies and, you know, everyone's trying to enrich each other and people are just pretty bold about it. I just And the guy's like, well, sir, well, you may have found it a snooze because you're so close to this and know all about it. The guy was talking about how he had like a you know, mother-in-law who's judges and stuff like that, like all these close ties. Uh, everyone else didn't know about it, and I certainly didn't find it to be a snooze. But um, man, it's true. Little Rock and, and uh, you know Arkansas politics, very back scratchy. And uh, you know, you, you do me a favor, I'll do you one. Not every government is Singapore, it turns out. Uh, with Foster, I want to say that part of the part of the circumstances leading to his death are, are pretty tragic and involve mental health. Uh, he was suffering from depression, but he was very concerned that if he saw a psychiatrist, it would cost him his security clearance, which is a thing that can happen to people. But we just have to be careful because if, you know, just because someone is depressed doesn't mean they killed themselves, right? It's like one of those things, like it's a possibility. It leans more credence to it, right? It's just, they I don't know. More, they need more <laughs> evidence than that, though. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's what, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, this is something that could be considered a factor to uh, think about, but it is far from a conclusive thing. And for people who do believe that Foster was murdered or maybe driven to suicide, which is another uh, another idea, then those five separate investigations to that perspective are only going to be five different iterations of a cover-up, right? So then the question becomes uh, one of influence, who could have that amount of influence over five separate investigations? This is only one, again, of 50-something people. Uh, we also mentioned Seth Rich in the past. Uh, he was murdered. Uh, he was a DNC, Democratic National Committee, staff member. And folks started speculating that Hillary Clinton had arranged his death. If you dig a little deeper past the headlines there, what you'll find is the heart of that speculation is based on a Fox News report that originally said Seth Rich was the one responsible for the WikiLeaks release of uh, DNC emails during that 2016 campaign. But what a lot of people don't acknowledge is that Fox later retracted that story. And as we know, the uh, Fox News of this time of 2016, it's very different from the Fox News of 1996. And also, you know, very 
it's incredibly rare nowadays for uh, mass media outfits to publish retractions, right? For for a pundit to go, especially in entertainment news, which is what Fox is, legally is, it's increasingly rare for one of those pundits to say, we got this wrong, which is why you can see so many programs like Last Week Tonight um, or Daily Show pointing out obviously contradictory statements by some of those pundits. It's still odd for me to think back about the Seth, the Seth Rich story and how explosive the John Podesta emails were. I mean, it spawned an entire conspiracy theory like genre of Pizzagate, right? And uh, and just how damaging those emails were to the Clinton campaign in 2016. Um, it did feel at the time like somebody was going to pay for it, right? Whether politically or, you know, uh, uh, physically. Um, and then when Seth Rich was killed, I remember being less skeptical about it in the moment uh, about it being involved in some way with the Clinton campaign or the democratic party in some way. Uh, but looking back now from this far away, it does feel like the connection maybe isn't as, is not as strong, especially given what you just stated about that, uh, that Fox news story. We're going to pause here for a word from our sponsors. And as long as we don't end up on a body count, we'll be right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more 
while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. And we've returned. And again, the list continues to grow. Uh, One recent addition was Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, When he died under questionable circumstances in 2019, check out our three-part series on that. Uh, Look, without naming off all 50-something people brought up in these various lists, there's one question is most immediate to me, and something that's worth unpacking. Given that the U.S. president, whomever they are, in general, is one of the most scrutinized people in the world, like up there with the Pope and the Queen of England, Uh, And given that Clinton's political opponents successfully, meticulously nailed down every possible detail of anything that could take him down, take him from power, uh, culminating in a non-political scandal like an extramarital affair, why would they have not used any one of these deaths as a perfect opportunity to put the nail in the coffin of his career, right? Obviously, they, they would have. That was part of their mission. Why were they not able to do so? Was there a cover-up? Did someone have dirt on every single GOP operative? Also, I want to say, in addition to Podesta, um, that sparked another another conspiracy theory that has some even more plausible roots, which is WikiLeaks collusion uh, with a couple of other third-party actors. But, okay, so that's the thing. If they If it was there, if you could prove, forget 30, forget 50, if you could prove one, then you could end that career. Why didn't they? Uh, the other issues with this theory are, are this kind of a numbers game? I hate to say it. Any successful politician, let alone a career politician, who gets to be the president, they're going to have a much bigger social circle, right? They're in a lot more Rolodexes. They interact with many more people. And This leads me to the following statement. I want to see what you guys think. This might be a little cold, but it's worth saying. Unfortunately, at this point in our lives, everyone listening has probably known someone who passed away through some some tragedy, right? And it is possible then that with the right cherry-picking of facts, if you had a motivated enemy or opponent, how hard would it be for them to ascribe this death to you? You know, it's again, it's cold to frame it that way, but it gives us a sense of the possible logical fallacies here. I mean, you know, people, you know, have passed away. You are connected to them. How how difficult is it to curate or remix the facts surrounding your relationship and the facts surrounding their death such that it looks like you were somehow involved? You think that's too crazy? No, I I. I think you're right, but also it feels way more suspicious when those people 
close to you who have died are responsible for protecting you, like bodyguards or secret service members or people who would witness the places you go and the people you interact with because it's their job to know what you're doing when. I think that's why it feels so suspicious to everyone when you encounter some of the concepts or even the theories, no matter how loosely based they are on reality, right? When, when you when you first read it and you first see it, you're like, oh, wow, that would make sense. That bodyguard would have seen who he was with that night. It's also easy to fall into the hole where there's smoke, there's fire fallacy, which, you know, I mean, there, it can be true, certainly. But in this situation, it, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like it holds water. Um but, but you're right, man. I mean, there are people that are in close proximity or involved in things that would be inconvenient to, you know, the Clintons. So it is easy to kind of, you know, make that leap mentally. It's talking specifically, I think, about the uh, and tell me if I'm off base here, specifically about the 12 or so Clinton bodyguards who are deceased. Um, this is a good opportunity for us to talk a little bit about connections. Three of those people, Brian Haney, Timothy Sabel, and William Barkley. Oh, four, Scott Reynolds as well. Now I think about it. They died in a helicopter crash in May of 1993. Uh, they were members of something called Marine Helicopter Squadron 1, responsible for transporting the president. Uh, they died when they were on a um, pretty much like a maintenance flight in a Black Hawk helicopter, officially no evidence of sabotage. But Clinton, his association there is that he had been in that aircraft only one time, and it was two months earlier, and people know where he went. He went from the White House to the USS Theodore Roosevelt. So how solid is that connection? You know, it's a, it's a question worth asking. Um, it's also not the first time body counts have been used in this way. Oh, I know you're absolutely right. Especially when you like when you break when you look at each one individually, like there's a Snopes article, Ben, that you mentioned in, in today's outline that points to the individual, you know, humans, the accounts, right? Of each person who's listed on these body on these body counts. And if you look at it hard enough and you actually look at the information that's presented there in the circumstance, it gives you that feeling of, oh, there why would these people have been killed. Uh, the president had just gotten into the White House. Why would they all die in a helicopter accident like that? Why would that be a planned thing? It doesn't make sense. Um, but if you just hear about it in passing without getting those details, it feels way more real. Yeah, it's true. It's impactful. And it's built to be so, honestly. And this is not saying that uh, people who are creating the, these lists were acting in bad faith. They may sincerely believe what they're saying. And, you know, again, exercising humans' amazing gift for pattern recognition. But let's talk a little bit about how body counts have existed in other realms of politics in the past. I mean, I think it, it, it really dovetails nicely into your whole point, Ben, about this, the circles that these types of people, you know, inhabit and just how um large they can be and how it's easy to draw parallels between the people that are at the center of such a massive and influential circle of people um it's it's easy to kind of like pick apart you know oh well these people were all related to the clintons who were in the center of this circle but the circle's so big and encompasses so many different competing interests with all different kinds of motivations and and, and who knows you know what could have caused these things. And then it's just easy to kind of like your mind to trace it directly to the center. But you're right. 
Body counts are a thing. Snopes a website that I think we all love dearly um, points out a listing, you know, an, an entry um, documenting all the allegedly suspicious, quote unquote, deaths of persons connected with the assassination of John F. Kennedy have been circulating for decades. And the same techniques used to create and spread the JFK lists have been employed in the Clinton version. Um, it's just it's selective bias, you know, list every possible dead person, Ben, as you point out, regardless of how, you know, slight or vague that connection may, may be. And it's easy to trace it back to the most influential big fish in that pond, which in this case is the Clintons. Yeah, but I want to see the Nixon and LBJ body counts like I haven't ever delved into those. That's that's next on my list. Yeah, I want to see the Hoover body counts. Uh, oh, the Cleveland, so, <laughs> the Cleveland right, body count. The Grover Cleveland, <laughs> that son of a gun. Uh, yeah, and then also all the deaths are. This is just a little bit of mechanics language in propaganda. All the deaths are framed as mysterious, regardless of whether evidence may point to a solid explanation. You can use some uh, what skeptics call weasel words, which I think. Skeptics throw that around too often, but uh, you can have tricky detracting language, little like Darren Brown-esque primers. Just say it's officially declared a suicide. Officially and declared implies strong doubt, even when there's nothing that indicates it other than the words officially and declared. And then, of course, ignore information that contradicts the result you want. Confirmation bias, baby. Consider that Thompson, the originator of this idea, later admitted she had no direct evidence of the Clintons killing anyone. She said the deaths were probably caused by, quote, people trying to control the president, and she wouldn't say who those people were. But because it's a juicier story to say that Clinton himself and his spouse were infernal architects of a criminal empire, people just forgot the stuff the original person said and kind of put the story in to like make it their own their own version of what they liked. Uh, kind of like how in Marvel movies, Wolverine kind of becomes the uh, the leader of the X-Men, even though historically that's Cyclops and Professor X. It just made for a better story. So we did find, uh, you know, you can see extensive lists and get them from a variety of sources we recommend. But uh, if you look at the examination the way we did one at a time through various lists and various reportings around these deaths, uh, you'll see that a lot of the connections are scanty at best. One example, just to make this real quick, Mary Mahoney, a former White House intern, was gunned down while trying to stop a robbery at the Georgetown Starbucks. There were a couple of reasons why uh, people believed she was on the Clinton body count. First, uh, she was a manager of the Starbucks after she was an intern, and there were allegations that she was about to testify regarding sexual harassment. And another piece of evidence people believed here was that three people died in what very much was a robbery, but nothing was taken. So they thought, hey, this is a murder. This is a hit made to look like a robbery. But what they forgot is that if you're ever thinking at that level of sophistication, you take something. What happened later by the admission of the perpetrator who was imprisoned uh, was that he didn't intend to kill people. Mahoney tried to take the gun from him. He fatally shot her, fatally shot the other two employees, realized gunshots in Georgetown, D.C. will attract attention. So he ran because he didn't have to think he had time to get the register. The other piece is that uh, 
Just before the Monica Lewinsky scandal breaks, a guy named Mike Isakoff over at Newsweek drops a hint, and he says a, quote, former White House staffer with the initial M is going to talk about having an affair with Clinton. Later, history would prove that the M referred to was Monica Lewinsky, not Mary Mahoney. Look, look, this is me speculating. This is not based in reality. I'm imagining that if Bill Clinton is having some relations, uh, sexual in nature, with one intern. That woman? <laughs> what, yeah, with that woman. What about that other woman? I mean, he was pretty notorious throughout his career for having sexual oh, relations with women who were not Hillary. He was um, a tomcat, man. Seriously. I mean, it was so clear. Like, my only thing is, like, you could totally see why people may have speculated about that thing, just as you said, Ben, but... Um, there is a there's a version of this where it makes total sense that someone would take out one of these interns who is going to speak. But why would they do that to Mary and not to Monica? Right, right. Uh, so to answer your question, Mahoney's death occurs in 1997, and the Lewinsky scandal goes public in January of 1998, and the the murder of Mahoney occurs in July of 97. So between January and July. So given all this information, it's clear that not all these claims on this list can be taken at face value. But just because one theory might not hold up doesn't mean there's nothing else out there. Actually, now that we're <laughs> now that we're sinking our teeth into this, folks, uh, we are going to make this a two-parter. Typically, we like to plan these in advance, but there's a lot more to dive into. The Clinton Foundation, Whitewater, uh, Benghazi, uh, of course, <laughs> the emails, and uh, as we promised, what I argue is the bigger danger here, the larger implications the, this sort of stuff, everything we're talking about has for the present and the future. So we're going to pause. We're going to call this part one. We're going to return uh, in a few days with part two of our deep dive into the Clintons and corruption. Thank you so much for tuning in. We, as always, can't wait to hear your opinions. Let us know what you think. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can let us know what you think in a number of ways uh, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and you can also, you know, leave a comment on our YouTube channel if you wish. Our handle at all three of those places, Conspiracy Stuff on Instagram, if you wish. Uh, you can reach us at Conspiracy Stuff Show. But there's more. That's right. Give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STD-WYTK. When you call in, please give yourself a cool nickname. Let us know if we can use your name and voice on the air in one of our listener mail episodes. Uh, and you got three minutes. If you've got more to say than could fit in that three minutes, why not instead give us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <laughs> 